You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Grumbling. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to today's program. This may seem an unusual topic to choose a program about what the Bible says, but that's the good thing about the Bible, and it adds to its authenticity that not everything is sweet and lovely. The Bible is a record of God's dealings with mankind, and as you'd be aware, people can be difficult. Grumbling or complaining is very common. But there are lessons to be learned from grumbling. Grumbling is the word I will use, but in the Bible it's also given as complaining and murmuring. Before dealing with the subject properly, I want to share a short story about complaining. And this story was recorded in the Associated Press. A bank robber called Arthur Bundridge approached a Syracuse, New York bank teller and demanded $20,000. When he got home, he discovered he had been shortchanged. Outraged, he stormed back to the bank to tell them what he thought of their service. <laughs> and that's when he was arrested. Well, I think this guy might have been shortchanged in the intelligence department as well. Complaining usually happens in the wake of a negative situation. For example, the traffic was worse than expected, the meal was disappointing, the weather was lousy, and so on. Of course, it's not just situations, but also personal factors that are involved. You'll notice, for example, that some people tend to complain while others hold their tongues. Indeed, there is a complaint threshold that that must be reached before someone decides to grumble. Complainers fall into three groups. First, there are the chronic complainers, who complain about anything and everything. Second are the venters, who from time to time vent their dissatisfaction. Generally, venters are not looking for solutions. They just want to share their frustrations. The third type of complainers are the instrumental complainers who complain in order to solve a problem they'd like to fix. The instrumentals are much more positive than the chronic complainers. Only about 25% of complainers are instrumentals. Recorded in Exodus chapter 15 is the first part of the journey to Canaan after the Israelites miraculously crossed the Red Sea. And I'll read to you from verse 22. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. 
So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw the wood into the water, and the water became sweet. Then the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring down on you any of the diseases I brought down on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped near the water. I don't know if you noticed something from what I just read, but God made a decree, a solemn promise, that if the people obeyed him, he would make sure they remained healthy and did not get any of the diseases that affected the Egyptians. Many of the diseases which cause problems in today's society also afflicted Egyptian populations. From studying mummies, evidence has been found that the ancient Egyptians suffered from tuberculosis, malaria, and schistosomiasis, besides other diseases. Tuberculosis was a common bacterial disease. Schistosomiasis is also known as bilharzia, and that is a disease caused by infection with freshwater parasitic worms in certain tropical and subtropical countries. The parasite can be found in sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia and the Caribbean. The freshwater becomes contaminated from infected animal or human urine or feces. The parasites penetrate human skin and enter the blood stream and migrate to the liver, intestines and other organs. A rash, itchy skin, fever, chills, cough, headache, stomach pain, joint pain and muscle aches are symptoms. It makes one wonder if many modern diseases are the result of not obeying God and doing his will. Many Westerners die from common lifestyle diseases such as heart attack, stroke, cancer, atherosclerosis. It's my firm opinion that if people followed the health principles laid out in the scriptures by not eating unclean meats and by adopting the original plant-based diet, they'd be much better off. If people followed the Ten Commandments and rested every Sabbath each week, they would also benefit greatly from that practice. But the Israelite grumbling did not stop at Elam. As their journey continued through the desert where food was scarce, the people forgot how the Lord miraculously led them through the Red Sea. They forgot how the bitter waters of Marah were made sweet. They forgot that God was looking after them. 
Instead, they thought of their slavery in Egypt, where they said, Oh, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. People also conveniently forgot that they were slaves in Egypt. Now they were free. What price is freedom? Well, in my library, I have a two-volume collection of stories entitled Great Escapes. One of the stories is about a small group of people who escaped a labour camp in Siberia. They faced hunger, thirst, attacks by bandits, painful sores, heat and just about everything else human beings might endure as they walked overland thousands of kilometres to northern India, all for the sake of freedom. Think about the two world wars and the sacrifices made in order to protect freedom. We often remember around Anzac Day of the high cost of freedom and the lives lost to protect the freedom of others. Then consider that God the Word, Jesus, left heaven, came to this dismal planet, lived as a man and allowed himself to be murdered in order to secure the freedom of others, those who choose to have it, yours and mine. I'm not sure if those Israelites realised what they were grumbling about. Freedom is much more precious than any pots of meat. But God heard their grumbling and supplied food from heaven, manna that supplied all their nutritional needs for 40 more years. In Numbers 11 is recorded another lot of grumbling by the Israelites. Although healthy and well fed with the manna, they wanted meat. Verses 4 through to 6 say, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again the Israelites started wailing and said, Oh, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Well, there are two points I'd like to draw from these texts. Firstly, it is good to be grateful for what you have. If you have enough, well, that's enough. To want more, more, more is excess and breeds discontent. Advertisers recognise the desire to have more and better and target their advertising to get people to buy their products, whether they need them or not. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 5, is some timely advice. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, 
Never will I forsake you. The second point is this, that it's not a good thing to keep looking back to what some term as the good old days. Those days are gone. They're history. They cannot be relived. Looking back is often negative. Looking forward is positive. All the Israelite people wanted meat like they had in Egypt. Now I'm going to read to you from Numbers chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. Here it says, The Lord said, I will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you have wailed before him saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? And verses 31 and on says, Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about a metre above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. Well, they certainly had their fill of meat, but the Bible records that many of them died from eating quail. In my Bible it says, the Lord struck them with a severe plague, and many died. We're going to go on straight after the break, where I'm going to share some more about this topic. Every 
I'd just like to say in response to that piece of music, rather than grumble, we should pray. Well, I was telling you about what happened in the time when the Israelites were journeying from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan, how that they longed for meat to eat, and the Lord supplied quail, which is a delicacy, and they had so much quail that they got so fed up with it that uh, they didn't want any more. But a lot of them got sick. And it says in the Bible, the Lord sent a plague. Now, coronavirus is spread by droplet infection and through close human contact, and it is a severe plague. Bird flu, or sometimes known as avian flu, can be transmitted to human via contact with birds. I don't know if the Lord have allowed the discontented people to contract a disease like severe bird flu at this time, whereas at other times he protected them from getting diseases. It is possible that the Lord withdrew his protection to teach the people a lesson of gratitude. It's my assumption that the grumblers learned a significant lesson at that time, the lesson being trust in the Lord. He knows what is best. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is entitled Warnings from Israel's History. It highlights some of the consequences of the Israel, Israelites' grumbling. In verse 6, the Apostle Paul stated, Now these punishments occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And in verse 9 he adds, We should not test the Lord as some of them did. And Paul concluded, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And from this, I want to focus on two points. The first is about testing the Lord. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, the Lord invites people to test him. He says, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. The testing of the Lord, Paul mentioned, is about our being faithful to him. If we are faithful to him, we will find that he will bless us beyond our expectations. The other testing Paul mentioned is about pushing God's patience beyond reasonable limits. The next point I would like to highlight is the fact that the Israelites failed to honour God and grumbled when things went differently than they expected. And that should be a warning to everyone. For example, it has been reported 
in the news from time to time about golfers being struck and sometimes killed by lightning during a thunderstorm. Anyone who has an ounce of wisdom should know that it is dangerous to be out on the golf course during a thunderstorm. We should learn by others' mistakes. So how should a true Christian act when something is annoying him or her? Firstly, we need to trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding is from Proverbs 3.5. The reason we complain and argue is essentially because we don't trust God with our circumstances. We don't trust that he's working all things out for good. When we trust that we have an all-wise God working all things out for our good, then this trust will deliver us from complaining, complaining about God and complaining about other people. Secondly, we need to acknowledge God's sovereignty in all situations. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 teaches that God works all things out for good. In order not to complain, we must not only trust in God's goodness, but also acknowledge God's sovereignty. Only a person who is fully trustworthy and good is worthy to be sovereign over the affairs of all things. We may not understand why tragedies happen in the world, but we can have peace because is altogether good, trustworthy, and sovereign over all situations. Thirdly, we need to have contentment with God's provisions. First Timothy chapter six, verse six to eight says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. One of the disciplines we must develop is to be content with whatever God has provided, even if it's only basic. This is a discipline Paul challenges Christians to grow in. And you can read about that in First Timothy, as I just read before. This is exactly what God promises to provide us with in Scripture. He promises to meet our needs, to give us our daily bread. He doesn't promise riches, wealth and health on this earth, like what's promoted in the prosperity gospel. Christ told his disciples that God would meet their needs for clothing and food as they sought first the kingdom of heaven. You can read that for yourself in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Compared to the Israelites, the Apostle Paul reflects on his own situation. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where he said, For the sake of Jesus Christ I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. 
but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And he adds in Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned to be content in any and every situation. And there's a further instruction from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.20. And here's what he says. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So does that mean we should give thanks even when we experience bad things? As humans, we're not hardwired to be grateful. It doesn't come naturally to us. It's often so much easier to have a grumble and to complain. The downside of this habit is that it's incredibly seductive. The saying, misery loves company, has a great deal of truth in it, and there's generally no shortage of people around us to indulge in our complaining. Overall, life just becomes sweeter and more fun through practicing gratitude. Gratitude can be as simple as, today I'm grateful that I'm alive, or today I'm grateful that I have a roof over my head, or although that dog's barking is annoying, I'm grateful I have ears to hear with. Gratitude is a positive characteristic. People who have positive, a positive outlook are generally happier and live longer with better quality lives. So what lessons are there for us from this program? And I have seven points which have covered and which I'd like to summarise now. Number one, as we obey and serve God, he will bless us. Number two, freedom is more precious than comfortable living. Number three, be grateful for what you have. Number four, lamenting better times in the past does not make your present life any better. Number five, trust in the Lord. He knows what's best. Number six, learn from the mistakes of others and avoid making those same mistakes. Number seven, a positive attitude makes a big difference. Friends, you can choose to be a grumbler or you can choose to be positive, even in unpleasant circumstances. Grumble to crumble. Praise brings bouquets. Why don't you be like the Apostle Paul who said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.